And so let me invite you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. In particular, I want you to turn there because in your bulletins you will find two verses printed. Those verses I will read for us in just a moment, but after a few moments in the sermon, I'll then read a broader context, and you may find it helpful to have your Bibles open so you can see the context of those two verses in front of you as well as hearing it. If you'd like to use the blue Bibles, it's on page 957 in the blue Bibles in the pew rack in front of you. So hear this portion then of the Word of God from 1 Corinthians 10 verses 16 and 17. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the bread of life. You are the water of life. You are the one who changed water into wine. You are the one who poured out your blood and allowed your body to be hung on a cross for us. We pray then today as we look at these words that help us to reflect, remember, celebrate what you have accomplished on our behalf, that you would guide our thoughts and our minds, that you'd protect us even this morning as we seek to hear from you and follow after you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. We are all part of something, parts of something. In fact, we are part of any number of things. We are part of our families. We are part of the citizenship of our nation. And some of you, just a few moments ago, became formally part of, part of the membership of Christ the King Presbyterian Church, which is part of the Presbyterian Church in America, part of the Philadelphia Metro West Presbytery, part of the body of Christ. And as a part, we partake of things and we participate in things. Now, I'm probably going to get myself confused here. We're saying partake, part, and participate uh, throughout this sermon today. But the fact of the matter is that in this section of Scripture that I've just read for us and in the surrounding section as well, Paul is using this idea of participation and being partakers of various things as a way to help us to view and find our place in the world, to understand of what we are a part, how do we partake in things, how are we connected or disconnected to the world and the life around us. Our participation it shapes and defines who we are, and our participation reveals 
what we love, who we love. The more that we partake of things, the more that shows where our heart really is. Now, this is a fascinating chapter. Again, this, this is where you might want to be looking down at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in which Paul has a variety of commands that he gives to the church in Corinth. And they're very broad in scope. There's a lot of things that are addressed in this particular chapter. So just to give a, a, a few examples of it, Paul is going to be warning them not to participate in idolatry, not to partake of demons. He's going to talk to them about sexual immorality. I'm not going to read up as far as this, but verse 8, we must not indulge in sexual, sexual immorality as some of them did. He's going to be talking about temptation in general in the verse that pretty closely precedes uh, the section that I read for us just a moment ago. And he'll be encouraging the church there in how to do good to one another, to do good to your neighbors, how to even eat and drink with respect to the glory of God and with respect to the people who are around you. And so the scope of what he's talking about in this chapter is really wide, and we might look at it and go, all right, those things don't necessarily seem to connect to one another. It seems that Paul's just taken a shotgun approach to a lot of things in this chapter, and yet for Paul, there is a connection. There is a theme which binds all of these things together, and in particular, that theme is participation. What he's concerned about is what we are connected to in our lives, and that's why in the middle of this chapter, which is about all of the things that I just described for us, including things I didn't even mention, how do you eat, how do you handle meat sacrificed to idols, and when someone asks, offers you such meat, he inserts into the middle of that discussion this section that we read on the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the visible representation of our highest participation, of our highest oneness. And what he wants us to see is that in the middle of everything else, that is the thing. That is the thing, the person of which we partake that should then impact our decision about how we participate in any number of things that take place in this world. So listen now to this passage a little bit more broadly with that introduction in mind. I think I'll start at verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation he will provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God, I do not want you 
to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold at the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We're part of the earth and the fullness thereof that God has created. Let me illustrate this same theme, this idea of partaking and participation with one other section Uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the exact same idea is in view for Paul, in this case, with respect to sexual immorality of which he has heard is taking place in Corinth. Here's what he writes. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now, the key words in that second passage that I've just read for us are words like one and joined and member But they all have the same idea, that same relationship, things to which we are connected, things in which we participate participate or partake. What Paul seems to be saying in this passage is that our sanctification, our growth in holiness is not just some obedience or disobedience to an established code. In other words, you could approach it in a, in a very formal, stone kind of way and say that there's a list of things you should do and a list of things you shouldn't do, and holiness is determined by not doing the things you shouldn't do and doing the things that you are commanded to do. Now, that's true, to a certain extent, but what Paul seems to be saying here is, listen, if you're going to actually battle against idolatry and against sexual immorality, if you're actually going to be able to live a life of loving other people, then you need to understand that sanctification, growth, and holiness is essentially personal. It's essentially relational. With whom are you joined? Of whom and of what do you partake? And to answer that, or at least to illustrate for the Corinthians where that ought be at its highest point, at its most center and central point, then Paul introduces the Lord's Supper, a meal which defines and nourishes our oneness, our union, and our communion our participation in Christ. So let me look at these just two verses now. Let me just zoom the focus back in on these two verses. Verse 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, 
Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? In the first place, then, the Lord's Supper declares, when we partake of this supper, it declares with whom we are joined. We are, by grace, through faith, by the working of the Holy Spirit, joined to Jesus, connected to Jesus, in union with Jesus, one with Jesus, body and soul. We are, as we partake of this meal, bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, united to Jesus Christ as we partake of this meal by faith through the working of the Holy Spirit. When we partake of that bread and that wine, we are partaking of Jesus. We are communing with Jesus. Christ in us, we in Christ as we partake. We're in Christ. We are in fellowship with Jesus. And this supper that we're about to take, it demonstrates it, it reveals it. Now, to be sure, and let me step away here for a moment, to be sure this meal of which we will partake is a remembrance, a recollection, a way of reminding ourselves, of the Lord reminding us of all of the things that Jesus accomplished on our behalf, all that Jesus did to make us one with himself is symbolized him to, in this meal. And as we partake of it, we are surely to remember those things and to give thanks for what Jesus has done. In that way, it is very similar to what we discussed last week, an Ebenezer, right? The Ebenezer is the stone of remembrance that is set up. And I connected it with the supper, which is for us a remembrance of what God has done, a remembrance of his help, a way for us to gather together and remember to say thank you. Lord Jesus, for all of the work that you have done on our behalf. But, but, the supper is more than that. It is much more than that. While it is a reminder to us, it is in fact for us something that allows us to experience oneness and cultivate our communion with the Lord. It's not just something, our oneness with Christ, that happens once and then it's done. In fact, it's not one and done. It's, as I titled the sermon, one and not done. Now, let me just explain that a little bit. One and done, you know where that phrase is most frequently used these days is with respect to college basketball. The NBA has a rule that you can't uh, be on an NBA team unless you're 19 years of age, the result of which is a lot of guys coming out of high school who might be immediately drafted in the NBA. Instead of going into the NBA, they spend a year in college, after which they can be drafted into the NBA and get the nice contract. But it has produced what is called the one-and-dones, people who will come for one year of college serve that time there, enjoy that time there, and then move on from there. But oneness with Christ is not one and done. 
It's oneness that is established and then not done. Oneness, our union with Christ, is to be celebrated. It is to be enjoyed. It is to be delighted in, to be grown into. It is to be practiced. So when we partake of this meal, of the oneness that we have with Christ, this is not merely a stepping stone in order to enable you to do something else. This is the practice of oneness, the practice of communing with Christ as the body of Christ. Oneness is not static. It's not static in marriage, and it's not static in our relationship with Jesus. In other words, think about it this way. When a, a, a couple becomes married, they have their marriage ceremony, and we can even go to this extent because this is where Paul is. Oneness doesn't start, stop, or end with a marriage ceremony and with consummation of that marriage. Instead, oneness is something that the couple then practices and grows into throughout their lives, and the same is true with coming to Christ. It's not just that you became one with Christ when you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now oneness is done and you're on to something else in the Christian life. Instead, oneness, participation in Christ, is something that's grown into, that's practiced and this meal is one of the highest points of the ways that we do that as the people of God. Listen to the way the Heidelberg Catechism puts this. I'm going to read you a question and an answer. I've truncated it just a little bit uh, so that it would be easier for us to digest in a setting like this. The answer, as I give it to you, is going to have two parts, and I'll stop in the middle of it and I'll identify them to you. It has a first part in which it testifies to what the supper represents, the work of Christ, the body broken of Christ, the bloodshed of Christ so that we can have the forgiveness of sins, and then it goes on from there. Here's the question. What does it mean to eat the crucified body of Christ and drink his poured out blood? Now that's a dramatic question to ask that. What does that actually mean in a John 6 kind of way? What does it mean to eat his flesh and drink his blood? It means to accept with a believing heart the entire suffering and death of Christ and by believing to receive forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's part one, and it's grand, and it's glorious. It's all of the work that Christ has accomplished. But it means more. That's the words of the catechism. Through the Holy Spirit who lives both in Christ and in us, we are united more and more to Christ's blessed body. And so though he is in heaven and we are on earth, we are flesh of his flesh and bone of his bone. And the phrase that in particular that I want to highlight for us there is we are united to Christ more and more. That for us emphasizes the dynamic character of it. It's not just one and done. It's, some, it's, a, it's a oneness into which we will continue to grow to the point of glory. So that as you partake of this meal, month after month, year after year, we grow more and more in oneness with Christ. We are partaking of Jesus 
And that then helps us to explain why the supper is critical and mentioned by Paul in the middle of a discussion about idolatry and sexual immorality. I mean, now it makes sense to us because we've heard it and we've seen the argument a little bit, but it might otherwise be surprising to us to be talking about idolatry and food sacrifice to idols and sexual immorality, and then all of a sudden you drop in the Lord's Supper into that mix. But for Paul, it's central. For Paul, when he looks at the act of idolatry and the act of eating food sacrificed to idols, or when he looks at sexual immorality and oneness that is taking place, he recognizes and he sees in that a misplaced union, a misplaced and errant, a sinful participation. You are partaking of the wrong things, participating in the wrong things, and they will come to define who you are. And so for Paul, the antidote to idolatry and to sexual immorality is not for the Corinthians simply saying to them, decouple, divorce yourself from that. It's not only that. Paul is also saying to them, you have to decouple because you're already coupled. You're already united with Christ. You are a partaker of Jesus Christ himself. And you can't be a partaker of Jesus Christ and a partaker of these things. The participation is incongruent. Those two things can't go together. You can't say, well, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. All things are lawful for me. You cannot say that. It's not the right kind of participation. And so what Paul is saying is eat what is good, drink what is sweet and what is refreshing to you. That is the Lord Jesus Christ himself who said it in these words in John 6. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Do you see how that then is more than a meal of remembrance? It is a meal of participation, a meal that is all about abiding, delighting in union with Christ. And so in the first place, in the supper, we partake of Jesus. But that's not all. We don't simply individually partake of Jesus when we partake of this supper as a dear brother of mine said a couple of weeks ago in an interview, we don't partake alone. We're not in the room by ourselves right now partaking of the Lord's Supper. We partake with each other. We do not eat alone. And therefore, verse 17 immediately follows. Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of one loaf. The Lord's Supper then not only is an expression of, a nourishment of, how to love the Lord with all of your heart, but in addition to that, it is a partaking of one another. 
It is a sharing of one another that's taking place as we eat of this loaf that has already been divided up, but is of this loaf that is common to this body. It is enabling us to love our neighbors, and in particular, to love our fellow participants in the body of Christ general, but in this body of Christ in particular. That's what's taking place as we eat of this meal. The Westminster Confession teaches us being united to Christ, we have fellowship with him and being united to one another in love, we have communion in each other's gifts and graces. Something significant is taking place as we partake of this meal together, as we partake of Christ together. Not only are we partaking of Jesus, and not only is oneness with him being demonstrated and nourished, but our being partakers of each other, our oneness is being demonstrated and nourished. And like our oneness with Jesus, our oneness with each other, in the Nicene Creed at least, we confess that the church is one. Our oneness with each other, however, is not static. It's not something that just happened the day we joined the church. It is something into which we grow more and more. A love that grows more and more. And so, as Leon Morris writes, the sacrament springs from unity and creates unity. Brothers and sisters, we are made to be a part of something. We want to be part of something. We are made to be partakers of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of his blessings, all of his benefits, but not only his blessings and his benefits, himself. We are made to partake of Jesus, and that's what you're doing when you partake of this meal. We are admittedly oddly shaped puzzle pieces looking for how we fit in this world, and lo and behold, God has placed us together in a surprising way so that we are this local body of Christ, your odd piece fitting with the others who are sitting around you right now. We have been pieced together. Praise God. And so with that, again, Sarah, welcome. We delight Having watched you for years pray and contemplate during the time of the supper, we do, obviously your family does, but this family delights to partake of this meal with you today. Jared, my brother, can't wait to partake of this meal with you today. And Ruth and Ruth Ann, sisters in the Lord, welcome to this church. And Janae, you're kind of already a part, at least of our family. But we delight to have you as part of this family here and to celebrate together 
in the Lord and to feast on him. So as you partake of the table today, it's not only, it is, it is an opportunity to remember and to reflect on what Jesus has done on our behalf, but it is more than that. It is an opportunity for you, for us, to grow more and more in delight of our union with Christ, of partaking of him, of being, as Peter says, partakers of the divine nature. And as we partake of the divine nature, so we grow and take this meal, we become greater partakers of one another. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your mercy, for your tenderness, for coming into this world, for the offering that you have made on our behalf, and thank you for the love that you have. We pray that we would be one as you are one, and that we would be one with you. And we pray that as we reflect on the words that we have read, and in anticipation of the meal that we will share. We pray that this would be for us our fundamental participation, the place where we most realize we are a part of that which is life itself, of him who is life itself, and that in so doing you would help us to resist the urges to partake of that which is evil in this world. Jesus, thank you for your word. And thank you for this meal, and we pray in your name. Amen.